Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, you know how everybody's kind of ripping on the Che Diaz character from And Just yeah. Like That? Yes. Right. And the comedy concert has become sort of the butt of a lot of jokes um, as because it's not very funny. But I was watching an old episode of Seinfeld last night and his stand-up is less funny than Che Diaz's comedy concert. Do you think it's just lost in time? It might be lost in time. Maybe Che Diaz's comedy is ahead of its time in that it is already <laughs> not funny. But yeah, stand-up is one of the art forms that ages the most poorly. And the, the ones that age well seem to be like just like George Carlin, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. George Carlin and like early Joan Rivers, but otherwise nobody's really stood up to the test of time. Um, yeah. So my theory is that, you know, maybe Che Diaz's comedy concert wasn't that unfunny. I mean, I think I stand by my original assessment that the comedy concert was not that funny, mostly because, I mean, it's the comedy concert. But, you know, to each his own, to each his own. Che deserves to be as funny as Che wants to be. And clearly, did you see there was a whole thing on Twitter about how Che Diaz got a Netflix show but got canceled for being unfunny? It was like, <laughs> people were taking it seriously. And I was like, this is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, man. The Che Diaz spinoff is what America deserves after this pandemic and the way that we've behaved ourselves. Could not agree more. This week, we're joined by Julissa Arce and Megan Gailey to tackle the following questions. Why does a certain type of man love Joe Rogan so much? What does Barbara Streisand's house have to do with the Beijing Olympics? And can four podcasting ladies help you solve your personal problems? All this and more right now. Alyssa, it is a great day today. Why is it a great day? And not just because Dolly Parton's Dollywood just announced it'll pay 100% of tuition and textbook costs <gasps> for employees that pursue further education because Dolly Parton is an American saint. All kinds of employees, seasonal, full-time, part-time. She is a goddess. Yeah. Uh, protect Dolly Parton at all costs. But it's a great day because I get to talk through the news with you. The news is stupid. The company is great. And that's why it's a great day. Co-sign. Okay, I agree. That makes it a great day. I guess we have to talk about Joe Rogan, huh? Oh, not great. Look, normally I I exist in this little area. And I don't really care about the little area that Same. Joe Rogan Same. is in. But a lot of people do care about the area that Joe Rogan is in. And I was thinking about it um, this week as there's all these stories about him in the news. Um, and I was thinking about it in terms of like how it affects me as a woman in America and uh, how it is a reflection of sort of a larger social Trend. Okay, so for listeners who aren't caught up, 70 episodes of Joe Rogan's uh, incredibly popular podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, were pulled from Spotify in the past several days after a montage of Rogan saying the N-word many, many, many times on his podcast went viral. And that comes after Spotify was under fire over Rogan's repeated showcasing of vectors of misinformation around COVID-19. So, you know, you have a sort of double threat of like COVID misinformation, vaccine misinformation, and just general uh, tackiness. Yeah, yeah, general tackiness. So here's the thing. They talked about this on Pod Save America. They had a great conversation. But here's my takeaway from this. Joe Rogan gets 11 million listeners per episode. Most mm. of them are men. 
Alyssa, what is wrong with American manhood that this is the most (sighs) popular thing? Right? I mean, like, I have to, let's, I have never listened to an episode of Joe Rogan ever. So just flagging that. Um, Because I don't think it's for me. Because I think that he tapped into largely the same thing that Trump did, is that at a time in history when the world, the country is being, you know, held to task about how we like aren't treating each other really well. And there's more than white men who should have access to all these different things. He was like, here's the deal, everybody. Looking at you, white men. Um... I know that we all have privilege because we're white men, but like, should that be held against us? Shouldn't we too have a safe space? And so he created this, you know, uh, safe space, safe space for people who are just like him. And, you know, it's, I don't know, Aaron, I just, I'm like, uh, there's so much to this that's just so beyond my comprehension. Like he's had the podcast for years. He said these terrible words over the course of many years. Like he's been doing the COVID information. I don't know why Spotify just got involved now. Like why couldn't they have been marking his podcast all along with like COVID misinformation? And the fact that as we were getting ready to tape this, we got the news that uh, Joe Rogan had been offered a separate uh, $100 million podcast deal by a far-right group. Um, I guess it kind of says what you need to know, right? Those are the people who will pay $100 million to hear what he has to say, which is mostly just like, poor us white men. (laughs) Well, the thing that really strikes me about Rogan and like, I know a couple people who are either friends with him or, or who have done his show. And I don't want to like disparage people for having a friend that has acted foolishly. Sure. Um, I think that Joe Rogan's show, you know, as a lot of people have pointed out, appeals to people who are disaffected by the power structure. But the thing is, these people are trying to create an alternative power structure of the same type of people who caused the problems in the first place. So like- Very good point. it's, It's all like- mostly white, mostly men, people who, instead of people who went to Harvard and Yale and fucked the world up, these are mostly white, mostly men who got their science tests handed back to them upside down, fucking the world up. And so that, that it just, it seems like a very strange disconnect. They're looking for answers in people that definitely don't have them, but they're looking for answers because people who are demographically similar to them mess the world up and they don't understand that like the answer is to maybe listen to a larger group of people who have a better expertise who aren't just trusted on uh, be- on account of who they are demographically almost like he's a place where people can find alternative facts <laughs> i mean i also think that he is sort of like, and I use this comparison a lot, but I feel like he's sort of like Mickey Mouse in The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Like he started out with this podcast and I don't think he ever meant for it to become as hugely popular as it has become. I don't, and and regardless of what you want or what you intend, when you have 11 million listeners a week, you have a responsibility beyond just asking questions. Right. Um, you have to, and you know, it's it's sort of like, that's that's the the curse of success is you become accountable to more people and you have a responsibility to people and you don't get to just get the success and not the responsibility. Those two things go hand in hand. Um, 
I I think, you know, the the 70 episodes of the podcast being pulled, uh, Spotify is saying Rogan pulled them. I mean, they did their damage already. Who cares? Yeah. And people are are crying. Here's another thing that I'm worried about. Like, look, I don't ever plan on listening to an episode of Joe Rogan Experience. At the same time, I don't believe that it, I, I don't think like it should be not exist. You know, it's like whatever. Right. They're free to have conversations that appeal to a specific group of people, but I don't think that it's with a platform that large, it's responsible for them to spread misinformation. You know what I mean? Right. Totally Um, agree. I think, uh, I I think that what I would like is to live in a country where, uh, you know, disaffected white men aren't turning to this type of podcast for information about science and public health. Right. And it's a, it's like the Rogan isn't the problem. Rogan is a symptom or the popularity of Rogan is a symptom, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much all I uh, I have to say about that. I'm, I'm never going to listen to an episode of it, but you know what? You got to do no, it. He, he do. doesn't. He doesn't need us. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't need us. That's for sure. Um, so uh, another story, real quick. Um, Alyssa, in 2003, according to California law. Digital images of Barbara Streisand's home on the coast of Malibu were made publicly available. Mm -hmm. Uh, Streisand's people tried to take the pictures down. And as a result, the pictures were widely distributed and are readily available in multiple places on the internet now. Pictures of Barbara Streisand's house in Malibu. Mm -hmm. This is where the phrase Streisand effect came from, uh, Mm -hmm. which which is the attempt to hide information, causing that information to be magnified, especially in uh, the digital age. And I believe that China has Streisand affected its human rights violations by attempting to obscure them during its presentation of the Olympics. What do you say about that? I think you're right. You know, I think it's crazy with everything going on that they're in China anyway. I mean, like the fact that for the athletes, you're glad they've been they've been doing everything they can to stay COVID free, but like like there's really bad stuff going on in China. It feels like people should be covering it more, but you're exactly right in that the more that China pretends to be like nothing to see here. I mean, Aaron, did they think that by having an athlete who was a Uyghur light? the torch, that people would be like, you know what? All the stuff we hear about how China is, I don't know, doing forced labor camps for Uyghurs and trying to force sterilization of Uyghurs, that we're going to be like, you know what? Everything we've heard is wrong. Look what they've done. A Uyghur with the torch. It's crazy. China is doing right now in contemporary times what America attempted to do to Native Americans. Um, they're trying to erase their culture. They're trying to take them away from their language. They're separating families. It is it is documented. No matter how, like, uh, you know, histrionic and, and uh, apoplectic Chinese state media gets about denying this, it is documented that this is happening. Forced labor, re-education camps. I um, was, I heard through, um, I think it was PBS, that there's now allegations that Olympic, official Olympic wear is being manufactured by forced 
labor, which is— Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, what what mud on the IOC's face? Like, the International Olympic Committee has done, in my lifetime, has done so much to just take something that is such a good idea and make it such a hive, like a hornet's nest of corruption. I can't really enjoy the games anymore, you know? Right. Well, it's like, you know, when you're watching, like, so say that you are enjoying one of your favorite sports, you're watching the downhill or the slalom. And then the next news break is that Peng Shui did an interview with L'Equipe, the sports magazine in France, where she said she never was assaulted by anyone and that the questions had to be submitted. There could be no commentary by L'Equipe. Like, it's like, no, this is happening. Like, we know what happened to her. We know what happened to her. And, you know, I just think that it's how it's like, it's hard to go back and be like, oh, hold on. Let me go cheer when, you know, just like so many terrible things are happening. Now, look, terrible things happen in this country too, but I just feel like it's not such an organized uh, effort on the part of the actual government hosting the event. Right. The government of China is uh, not great. And uh, just to refresh our listeners, um, Peng Shui in November, posted something to social media alleging that she had been sexually assaulted by a former Chinese Communist Party senior official. And uh, that post immediately disappeared. And then Peng disappeared for a while. And people were worried about her well-being. And now she seems like she's kind of in this weird, like, I am fine. Everything is fine. I never Hostage said that. video. Yeah, exactly. Which is another example of the Chinese Streisand effect. It's, it's almost as though they— right. That the government of China doesn't quite understand how that works in uh, in the Western media. Trying to keep something from people or telling people that something is being kept from them is more likely to make them seek it out. Um, and it's just, it just, it all makes me feel really icky. It's like, I can't, like, you know, there, there was the ski competition that was right next to those nuclear silos. That, that was crazy. Looked like Chernobyl. Emblazoned with the Beijing 2022 label. And it was just like, this is a, this is dystopian. Like we're having the Olympics on manufactured snow in yeah. a in a country with a genocidal government. Like, ugh, that's pretty bad. That's not great. It's it's almost like you know the World Cup is going to happen this fall, but it's going to happen in Qatar and massive human rights violations in in the building of the facilities for the World Cup. And the games are going to happen have to happen at weird times because of climate change and how hot it is. Qatar should probably have not gotten the World Cup in the same way that Beijing should not have gotten the Winter Olympics because there's no snow there. Um, it all is just very disappointing. And it seems like the IOC is willing to line their pockets and have everyone else who depends on the Olympics at their expense. Like the ratings for NBC are so so bad. bad. They're so nobody is watching because it's a bummer. Well, you know what a you know what a amazing documentary would be or like deep dive into how the locations for the Olympics get picked uh, and the World Cup. It's very interesting. I got to go in twenty. 10 or 2009, whenever it was, to Copenhagen when it was happening. And it is just delegations from all the countries like wheeling and dealing because the voting essentially happens like a caucus, right? It's the first round and then people don't get enough votes for the second round and then they lobby their votes to go to other people. And so there was someone said a joke once that like, oh, there's just bags of cash walking around. And I was like, ha ha ha. And they're like, no, really. 
It's like, oh my God. I mean, it's really, it's fucking, it's fucking nuts. It's nuts to watch. And I only know the little piece of it that I happen to get to see, but that is a documentary I would enjoy. Yeah. I remember the, um, that would be amazing. I would love to to see a documentary on how Sochi got chosen. Like Vladimir Putin's favorite resort town on the Black Sea. Why is that? Why was that hosting the Winter Olympics? It feels a bit like if Donald Trump had won in 2020, that that always, always visited uh, golf resort in Ireland or wherever it was, the one where he never paid the bills and didn't even pay for his secret service to have coffee. I feel like that would have ended up a real destination for something at some point. Birds of a feather. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, to make matters worse, and um, the coverage has been boring, uh, Leslie Jones, who famously uh, loves to comment on the Olympics and post videos of her commentary to social media, which is super, super funny, uh, said that she was told by NBC to stop doing it. Why? But then outrage caused NBC to be like, oh, yo, we didn't mean that. That's crazy. It was a third party that was stopping her videos from playing. I mean, sunlight is the best disinfectant, and I'm glad that Leslie Jones put that out into the light rather than just sitting on it. Um, And I wanted to quote The Root for this really genius summary of how NBC handled it. NBC has awkwardly tried to stay in the neutral zone on COVID-19, human rights, and IOC corruption, but the one issue the network apparently felt it had to take a stand on was Leslie Jones. Well, she's back, and the commentary's better than ever. <laughs> um, okay, uh, do we have any toast and roast this week? We did toast Dolly. It was It's all Dolly. That's all there was. That's all there is. Um, I wanted to add real quick before we take a quick break, Betty White, another hero of the show, may she rest in peace, is now the star of a little golden book that was, what? yeah, a little golden book about Be- the life of Betty White, illustrated, was gifted to me by my mom this past weekend so that I can read it to my to my daughter and, and teach her about how, like, Betty White was a cool. A little golden book. That is unbelievable. I don't have any kids, but I may need it just for myself. Okay. Well, your birthday's coming up. Let's dream big dreams. <laughs> Let's take a break. And when we come back, we are going to answer some listener questions. Welcome back. You're listening to Hysteria, the podcast equivalent of Justice Sonia Sotomayor interrupting Samuel Alito to tell him he's got bad breath. (laughs) Um, This week, we are going to do a special episode where we take your advice questions and we answer it to the best of our ability. We don't like unsolicited advice, but we love solicited advice. And I cannot think of a better duo to join Alyssa and me to do this. First off, um, she's a comedian. She's a writer. She does it all. You can subscribe, follow, and listen to her podcast, I Love a Lifetime Movie. It's Megan Gailey. Hello. Happy almost Valentine's Day and my birthday. Oh, what day is your birthday? The 17th. Oh. Yeah, I get I get packaged with Valentine's Day, but that's okay. <laughs> 
That's a, that's an unfortunate holiday for somebody who loves like all things fun. Yeah, my niece's birthday is Valentine's Day, and I remember when she was born, it was like, oh no! But her father, my brother, his birthday's nine eleven, and he was like, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alyssa's birthday is, I think, on the twenty second, right? Mm-hmm. Oh wow, With, yes. Megan! Yeah. I know your birthday because I keep track of all my February birthdays. Oh, it's a great crew. It's a great crew. (laughs) Um, Okay. And next up, last but not least, you can order her book, You Sound Like a White Girl, The Case for Rejecting Assimilation. Uh, It will be available to buy in real life on March 22nd, but why not just order it now? Jaleesa Arce. Jaleesa, welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be back. Happy New Um, Year. This is the first time. Is it too late to say New Year's? I never know. (laughs) I feel no. like it might be, but also I had COVID for like the first two weeks in January. So I feel like my year is just starting. So yeah, yeah. happy new year. Happy new year, <laughs> indeed. Um, are you feeling better? I'll, yeah, I feel better, but I definitely like have the brain fog thing that people talk about and oh. the tiredness thing. And yeah, just uh, you don't want to get this shit. It's, it's bad. <laughs> like I definitely did not just have a cold. It was way worse than that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're feeling good enough to be in front of your beautiful pink wall and on a microphone to answer our listener questions. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Um, And I also don't want to get COVID. I'm so scared. I don't think I've gotten it yet. That's great. My husband didn't get it. Really? So you're a, you're a vaxxed household. Vaxxed, boosted household, responsible mask wearing household. And I still got it. Um, but he did not because the very first moment I started feeling a sore throat, we like separated. We didn't sleep in the same bed, even though my test was negative. And then I tested again, they tested positive, but you know, I didn't expose him to it as much because we were very careful. Wow. This is like the opposite of Joe Rogan's podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody here will have had to say I'm not racist. (laughs) There is no super cut of us saying any uh, words besides the C word, which we are totally comfortable with. All right. So you guys are going to have another treat this week. You get to hear the voice of our producer, Caroline Rustin. Uh, Usually she's in the background. Today she's going to be in the foreground reading our listener questions. So Caroline, take it away. God, reading in the foreground is like the worst thing I could be doing. Okay. So (laughs) N-A-J-T asks, how do I stop caring that I'm the only one of my friend group that is still single? Oh, that's easy. Alyssa, go ahead. It sounds like you have an answer. So I was the oldest of my friend group, for the most part, to not be married. But I'm also the one who's still married uh, after oh. I met my husband <laughs> later in life. So I would just say that like, the, lo- the longer you wait, I just feel like the more right the person is that you ultimately decide to let into your life. So I would just like enjoy your freedom right now. Ooh, that's a great answer. I think my answer, so I got married after, I met my husband like right after I turned 35 and um, I got married at 37. So I, you know, I'm an older, older bride. But um, the thing that I would say is do all the things that you will not be able to do if you were to meet somebody or if you were to get married and enjoy the hell out of them. Like, I loved traveling by myself. Like take a take a trip somewhere that you're interested in going and just do everything the way you want to do it. Poop with the bathroom door open if you <laughs> if you live alone. Like there are things that you just can't do when you have a partner that 
there's no going back. Like once you've closed that door, there's no going back. And those things for the most part are are pretty fun. So focus on the fun things that you can do and, and realize that like the grass may seem greener, but you give up things when you cross it. I think also it can be really tricky to be like the fifth wheel, the ninth wheel. I feel like you're always hanging out with couples. So if there's a way to find some friends that are also single, I mean, I know we're coming out of a pandemic and we said we've been coming out of it for a year. So it's a tricky time to be making new friends. But if there's a crew of Men, women, any any types um, that are also not attached, I think that could make you feel less like I'm the odd man out. And you don't have to hang out with them all the time, but just for a breath of fresh. Julissa? I got you guys have said it all. Just <laughs> enjoy your time being single. I too met my husband later in life. I well, I mean it's not that much later, but I was 33 when we met and we got married when I was 35. And there are times now when I uh, wish like I could do exactly what you're saying, like some of the things that I did when I was single, like even just being able to have a night where I read a book and drink a bottle of wine without feeling like somebody in the other room is judging me because I'm not <laughs> this entire bottle of wine by myself. Um, so yeah, you know, enjoy it. Yeah. Also the food thing. I, I was just thinking like, you can't really predict what foods your future partner will either be intolerant of, allergic to, or just won't want to eat. And Josh really dislikes some of my favorite foods. I mean, not all of my favorite foods. So we enjoy eating a meal, preparing food together, whatever. But like, here's an example. <laughs> I like a noodle salad that has peas, like the the vegetable. I like peas in a noodle salad. I like peas in a in Indian food. Like I love little green peas. He hates them, so we don't eat we don't eat peas in the house. We defer to what you know what each other's tastes are in common instead of like one person gets to enjoy all their favorite foods and the other one just kind of suffers through it. So figure out what your favorite foods are and and eat them. That's. <laughs> And if I love my husband dearly, he is anaphylactic to all seafood, and it is a real bummer sometimes. <laughs> well, even sushi? Yes, everything. Oh, no, no, no. Yes, oh. it's tough. It's t- People are like, I feel for you. <laughs> if a Filipino man. Oh, he would have died. He would have died if he stayed on that island. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Wow. I did not know that. I guess I'm just not going to bring that bag of fish to your baby shower that I was planning on bringing. Um, all right, Caroline, let's go with the next one. Okay. So K. Michelle Hafner asks, I'm in my third round interview at my dream job. How do I fight imposter syndrome and believe I'm ready? Girl, own that shit. You are getting the interviews because you are qualified. They are going so well because you are qualified. And if ever you think, how do I fit with all these other people? Just think of all the advantages you didn't have because you're a woman and you're still getting these interviews. That job is your job. And I want you to wake up and say to yourself, I fucking earned this. I deserve it. And I'm going to kill it at this new job. Claim it. And that's that. Yes. A hundred percent. That is exactly how to handle it. I, I completely agree. Oh my gosh. Jaleesa, you should like do like cameo videos where you just yes. give people pet talks. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I'm ready to go run through a wall like the Kool-Aid man. 
<laughs> Someone once told me too that if you are feeling imposter syndrome, it means that you're good. Um, because the people that actually need to feel imposter syndrome never do. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a it's a sign of self-awareness that you should at least clock and then go, okay, I need you to go to the back part of my brain now, please. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So next question. Jess in transit asks. What's one thing you wish you had been told before having a baby? I'm 22 weeks. Oh, well, I'm I'm new to it. I'm new to the baby game. Um, she's only three months old. Um, I honestly think that being reassured that it's okay to have moments where I am very unhappy is okay. Like it is okay to to not like be a hundred percent happy all the time. And I think our expectations of motherhood are that you just are like, you know, this this sweet, you know, delighted person, you know, making all the birthday cakes and wrapping all the presents from Santa and doing all the the like invisible behind the scenes work and loving it. But it's not you don't have to love it. Like you just have to love your child, you know, you don't have to love cleaning their poop up. You just have to love them. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing is like the first month after having a baby was a lot harder than I thought. And I had some friends who sort of tried to very gently kind of be like, yeah, just so you know, it's like really hard after you have a baby. But I think they didn't want to scare me. I'm not trying to scare you, but I wish I had been more prepared for like how hard it was. It's just physically you've, everything has been taken out of you. You feel weird in your body. You're exhausted. You have to take care of a baby that is scary and has no personality. Um, sometimes you have like things, there are parts of you that are healing that you never really wanted to rip. Um, and like, I'm not trying to scare you it, but it, it is a concentrated month of a really, really tough time. And once that is over, things start looking up and it's not the same for everybody. So like people give you advice, um, you know, telling you that this is always going to work. This is always going to work. It's nothing always works for everybody. That's just the nature of this. But, um, I think being more prepared for the postpartum month was something that I wish I knew. And then also giving myself permission to be like, you know what? I'm really unhappy right now. Just to admit that to myself. I think giving myself permission to do that would have alleviated some of the guilt I felt around it. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's great so far. I give it, I give it a seven out of 10. Seven out of 10 and having a kid. Erin, you go into detail in your latest newsletter about the quote unquote fourth trimester, mm-hmm. which even though I don't have kids, I found very interesting. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I've been enjoying writing about it. I think writing about it, even when I've been tired because I have to I have to do it because I have a contract, um, <laughs> has but but the act of writing has been really instructive for me. And I'm really glad I preserved how I felt in writing like so, you know, if you're a person who enjoys writing, maybe writing stuff down will be therapeutic for you, for sure. Okay. MF Dobble asks, how do you make female friends over 40? But let's just say, like, over, like, college age and your adulthood. Get a podcast. Get a podcast. <laughs> and uh, and have really cool women who you think are neat and have a lot, of, a lot to say and get them on the show as co-hosts. And then eventually, over the course of several years, become... Friends who text each other from the toilet. That's, uh, <laughs> um, but I mean, seriously, I, uh, I throw it to you three because that's something that I have a difficult time with as someone who's sort of introverted anyway. 
I think for me, it's more as you get older, finding places you enjoy going and making friends that have a shared interest as opposed to like forced circumstances, right? Like as you're growing up, you're in high school with these people. And so you make friends with them, even if they're not the people you would choose and like maybe in college and maybe the same at work. So I have, I have made a lot of, not a lot. I mean, let's be honest. I I would write a newsletter about how to shed friends as you get older so that you can really focus on the good ones. Um, But I think most of my friends that I've made over 40, uh, just to go back to the original question, are people who I've met in places where I'm like doing a class or, you know, working out or, you know, at the store buying jam provisions. (laughs) You you never know. Um, And follow up with them. And it's, you know, see, see. Do a Zoom. <laughs> it's really hard to make new friends. So I moved to LA um, seven years ago. I didn't know anybody in LA, and it, it's been it's been hard to make friends. And maybe also because LA is this weird place where everybody wants to connect. Like, let's connect <laughs> and let's figure out how we can work together. Um, and like at first, that was like exciting. I was like, oh, great! Like this person will be my new friend. And then, you know, then you realize that most of those people are not going to be your friends. Like maybe you, you are going to work on cool projects together and that's awesome, but it's never going to get to the point where, um, you know, they're coming over to watch a movie and you're sitting next to each other, watching a movie, eating popcorn and like not talking. <laughs> I had such an amazing group of friends in New York that I really thought that I could replicate that. And I've just sort of, realize that that's that's not going to happen and that's okay because friendships look different when you're older and I have made some really amazing friends in LA and I also okay so like I was thinking my birthday is also coming up but not till March at the end of March so it's a it's a, it's a while but I love birthdays and I love to celebrate my birthday and I feel like this is the first year in a few years that I can actually maybe have people over um, for like an outdoor thing who are vaccinated and as I was like trying to make a guest list, like who am I going to invite? There were people who I was like, who I was thinking, I really like this person. They've never invited me to their house. Is it weird if I invite them to mine? Mm-hmm. You know? And am I going to look like, like that's weird. Why is she inviting me to her house? We're not even that close. But then I made the decision that I got to take a risk. And if they think it's weird, they think it's weird. But how am I ever going to get close to these people if I, if I don't make, somebody's got to make the first move, mm-hmm. you know? So I just decided that even if like, I've only met this person once in real life, but like we talk on Instagram all the time and they're cool, I'm going to invite them and hopefully they come and hopefully we have a nice time and hopefully we become friends, like real friends after that. And if we don't, then we don't, but at least I made an effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much of it is just truly like putting yourself out there and then following up. I I mean, L.A. has this thing, too, where it's like, let's do lunch. Let's hang out. And then you don't. Um, But I have a friend who moved to a town in Florida she did not want to move to for work and is like (laughs) really, really struggling to make friends. She joined a running club and she has to travel for work. And she's like, I'm making friends everywhere else I go. But I just (laughs) am not doing it there. And it's like, that's still valuable. You know, like you have a new friend in Nashville. That is something like it, it may just be 
the type of people that live in this place that you don't vibe with and don't take it personally. But if you can find just one person that you're like, yes, I like this person. Instagram's so funny. There's so many people that I'm like, this is my Instagram friend, yeah. but <laughs> not my real life friend. And then you meet them and you're like, I think we're best friends. <laughs> so, um, I, yeah, I have like no shame to really just get in there and be like, let's be friends. Um, and I know people have done that to me before and I've been like turned off by it. <laughs> and I do it. And it, it's just, you know, if it's meant to be, it'll be it's it's. And then there's factors of like spouses. Do you like oh my their? God, yes. Ugh, and sometimes you just got to not like some people's spouses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of how one thing that I've kind of done in the last couple of years is reconnected with people. It's not like every person that I've lost touch with, I didn't lose touch with because of some like problem. You know, there are people who I just simply dropped the rope with or like didn't follow up with or lost touch with. And there's no hard feelings and they're cool people. And we have connected on social media. Like I use Instagram to like rebuild friendships that I've kind of let fall on the wayside. And I have, you know, and another thing that I did this year was like, we sent out Christmas cards for the first time because we had like a, a baby picture to like send out and um, sending out, you know, sending like a message like, hey, what's your address? I want to send you a Christmas card was like a great way to reconnect with people or holiday card or whatever. I forget we're supposed to be having a war on Christmas. Um, but it was, you know, that just reaching out to people, I think, is a good way to connect with with uh, each other. And then also another thing. Having a dog in LA is a good way to make friends because when you're walking your dog in your neighborhood, you see the same people and the same dogs and, um, you start saying hi to each other. And sometimes your dogs become friends. And if your dogs like each other, then you'll start talking. And it's a good way to like, and, and if you don't meet any people, then you have a dog friend, which is (laughs) always great. Okay. Aaron Nichols asks, my ex just broke up with his girlfriend and now wants me to visit him in Sweden. Do I go? Sweden. Sweden. Okay, guys, like, look, I am as the resident person who is, I don't know, like a quarter Swede um, because, you know, (laughs) everyone is from where I grew up. Everyone's Swedish. Uh, I found a website, 55 reasons why everyone should visit Sweden. Everyone. Uh, One of them is nature, beautiful nature. Second, the reason number two on this Swedish website, crayfish party. Don't worry if you're thinking, what the heck is crayfish party? It's one of our unique traditions in Sweden. Basically, we make decorations, prepare a massive plate of crayfish, put on our crayfish hats and bib, and sing silly songs that we finish by drinking our famous schnapps. It's a huge tradition in Sweden. Midsummer, wild reindeer, castles, Stockholm. But I read this entire list, and I did not see your (laughs) ex-boyfriend on the list. I think you should visit Sweden but not see him because Sweden is Sweden is great. And I think people should visit. Um, The people seem really, really nice. um, And the country seems great, but like, don't go, don't go visit your board. Just go to Sweden just because it's cool. (laughs) I guess I would ask, do you want to see him? Um, If you do maybe go and have a hotel and see him, but going straight to like, stay with him, be with him in a foreign country. That's a real dive into the deep end. But I've definitely done crazier things. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And if you want sex, you know, 
People have flown further than Sweden. There are a lot of good-looking people in Sweden who aren't your ex-boyfriend that you could, probably, you could probably have sex with. You could meet a friend of his. That would be a real love story. <laughs> no, close the door on the ex-boyfriends. Like, <laughs> nothing good comes out of ex-boyfriends. I have an ex-boyfriend who is still trying to slide into my DMs. What? And- You're married! <laughs> exactly. And he is too. By the way, Whoa. yeah, nothing good comes out of seeing ex-boyfriends. So just close the door. Erin just said she's been reconnecting with people. And I think that, <laughs> you know, I have a, I have an ex who lives really close to me and his wife is delivering at the same hospital as me like two weeks before. <laughs> and I am sliding into his DMs being like, have you guys done the classes? Like, I'm just asking him baby related stuff. And it's like pretty apparent that he does not want to be my friend. And I told I told CJ, my husband, I go, I think he's still in love with me. <laughs> and CJ's like, yeah, I'm sure that's what's going on, Megan. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Lenastic asks, I'm a first time boss. Any tips for success? I'm about 10 years younger than the people I supervise. Wow. <laughs> that's tough. You know what? I uh, haven't been like a boss in the conventional sense, but I have been like up on the masthead high up enough that people had to like listen to me. And I was like giving out assignments at a publication or whatever um, and supervising their work. I have always found, and this is not like a comprehensive thing at all, but I think showing your employees that you care about them personally, like remembering when their birthdays are um, and doing something nice for them that's appropriate for what their personality is. Like if you have a cowork, you know, if someone working for you has a birthday, but they don't like big parties to just like very like slyly slide them a happy birthday card or like a happy birthday message just to show them that you know, you know, who they are and that you care about them. Uh, I think is really important. I also think um, modeling the type of behavior that you want your workplace to be is really important. Like I've had bosses who expect certain things out of their employees, but then don't act that way themselves, you know, like, and and I think that it's really important to just model what the environment is that, that you want. That's, those are the two things is like, remember personal things about your coworkers and uh, be the employee that you want them to be. And I think, too, on top of that, because I actually, I did find myself in a situation once where I was the boss of people who were either had issue area expertise that far exceeded my issue area and and, and were also, you know, 10 to 20 years older than I was. And I led with curiosity, things that I didn't know. It's like if people, like, I don't know this person who's asking us the question. I don't know their exact circumstance. But for me, it was like, I knew that the people who I was supervising now had been doing their jobs for a long time and that they must be pissed that uh, this like, you know, fucking Care Bear was going to be their boss. (laughs) And so I just tried to be like, you know, instead of going in and trying to show them how much I knew, I more tried to query them about all the things that they knew. Mm. Uh, But not putting myself in a subordinate position, like like I needed them to tell me everything. It was just like, I found it a way to sort of like build camaraderie and teamwork, you know, that they understood I valued what they had been doing for such a long time. A lot of the things you guys are saying reminds me of how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> and I, I never read that. You never I read that either. book. It's like so, so, so good. It really <laughs> helped me to go through corporate America and 
and and and to make friends and to make friends. Um, so yeah, I would highly recommend reading that book. I think there's a lot of really great tips just about how to be a good manager. Um, and I think it says a lot about you that you're sort of asking the question and that you're, um, you know, wanting to know how to be a good boss. Um, I think the the age difference might present an issue, but at the same time, you're the boss for a reason. And um, I think you just need to let that shine through and not be scared that people are older than you because older doesn't always mean that they know more or, you know, I don't know what your concerns are, but I would feel that concern. So read the book and just, Mm -hmm. you know, own that boss status, girl. Caroline's letting us know that it's also Charles Manson's favorite book. Um, what? So. <laughs> that's okay. Listen, listen. You, that's okay to have a book in common with him. Oh, he God. did learn to influence people. I so. mean, he did. millions he did. of people have read it worked that book. for him. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, okay, the next question is from Scamp Counselor who asks, how do I talk to a new person I'm dating about having less money than them? Uh, I think they probably know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if this is what they're getting at, but when I was in college, um, I went to a a private college and my parents did not have private college money. So uh, a lot of the people that I was in school with had a lot more money than we did. And it was the first time that I really understood that there were like people in America who could afford a $50,000 a year out of pocket tuition. Like their parents could just like write checks. That was wild to me. and there were times when they would want to, the ones that had money would want to do things that I just couldn't afford to do. And it was so awkward. I don't know if I have any advice, but I do have like some solidarity, like that feeling of being like, oh, I can't go to dinner when this with this big group of people and have all this fun, or I can't go on this ski trip. I can't do this. I can't do that because of money. Um, I think what would have been easiest if I would have just cleared the air from the beginning and been like, I'm poor. I can't do it. And like, just let that be the truth. Alyssa, you're nodding as little. I agree. No, I agree. Because Aaron, when I went to college, I was blown away. Someone asked me uh, at the University of Vermont my first couple of weeks, like who the richest people in my town were, because I clearly didn't come off as someone who was rich. And so I was like, I don't know. I think it's the whor- the equine vet in town. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but these 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 people had not just write a check and go to college money. They had like got a pathfinder because it was the 90s for getting into college, right? Mm -hmm. And that's just like, even, and I got to be honest, even if my parents had had that kind of money, it's not how they would have spent it. That's just not how they were. And so, Erin, I agree. I was always pretty, when people were doing what was truly extravagant stuff, like not normal college stuff or even later in life, I would just be like, you know what? I really can't. I can't afford it. And you know what? Sometimes there'll be a Richie in the group who's like, you know what? I want you to come so bad. I'll pay for you. And you know what? Just say thank you. Let them do it. But like, other than that, just be honest. Because I think the worst part is like, there's nothing to be ashamed about. Like, there's nothing to be ashamed about not being able to afford something when like a lot of really rich people should be more ashamed about what they spend money on. Yeah, totally. Okay. Uh, next question is from Liz Gibbs, and she asks, how do I handle my growing contempt for astrology? All of my friends and loved ones are very into it. Wrong group. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. 
I let me let me just take you on my astrology <laughs> journey. When before I moved to the West Coast, I was really irked by astrology. I found it to be very stupid, superficial, whatever. And the more that I have been in California and been infected by the vibes, because that's what happened. <laughs> I got I got vibitis. Um, the more I've come to understand and appreciate it as a historical practice that has had a ton of influence on world events. World leaders still use it to uh, decide whether or not to go to war, decide where to send troops. Throughout history, uh, there have been astrologers who have played extremely important political roles. Um, and, you know, Nancy Reagan had an astrologer in the White House. Like the Reagan era was... There's a lot of astrology there. And yes, that is a little, it's a silly way for America to conduct itself as a country, but I think its historical value can't be denied and its historical significance can't be denied. And I also think that a lot of, a lot of the distaste for astrology is, has a little bit of sexism to it. Not necessarily our question askers, but you know, when you meet a guy who's like, I fucking hate astrology. It's like, no, <laughs> you fucking hate women. Like, do you play fantasy sports? <laughs> do you play, do you gamble? Because it's like not, I don't think that there's any difference in, in like playing with theoreticals from one thing to another. Just one is, one tends to be more female. And that being said, America's Pluto return is happening on February 22nd of this year. Wow. Um, yeah. On my birthday. On her birthday. I'm ready to be Pluto. reborn, you guys. Yeah. I was born it's, uh, on the ready. It's a big deal. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I've, I've come to appreciate it, like not necessarily live my life by it, but appreciate it as something that's like a different way to look at yourself and a different way to think about the way that historical events have been decided. I'm assuming that your friends are taking it like really seriously and maybe you don't think they're great at it or <laughs> like I think this could be something that is saying more about how you feel about your friend group in general um, and astrology may be like the symptom of that. So maybe find some friends that aren't into astrology, but maybe like I'm really angry at my neighbors putting in a pool right now. It's like driving me insane. But the thing is, it's like I know that it's not just about this pool. Like there's a lot <laughs> of other shit that I'm putting my anger into this pool because it's like I love pools. Um, so I think maybe I'm not saying you have hidden anger. I'm just saying if the only thing you're annoyed with your friend group about is astrology, I I bet that's not true. <laughs> Good point. Okay, Det Matt Carr asks, my husband refuses to agree to vaccinate our kids. Should I get a divorce? Yikes. Uh Again, I think kind of to Megan's point, mm -hmm. I feel like there may be more to it than yep. just the vaccination. Like uh, right? I mean, if that's how I there's got to be more to it. Like did he vote for Trump? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because here's the thing. Even if you get a divorce, are you still allowed to vaccinate your kids? Which right. I don't think you are. I still think you need like both parents, depending on how the whole custody thing shakes out. So I totally agree. That this might be a bigger thing than just your kids not getting vaccinated. Maybe your ideologies are so different that it's pointing in that direction. But we, I don't know enough to be like, I mean, that's a big decision. 
And right. Like intellectually, if your kids are old enough that they could get the COVID vaccine, then that means they've gotten a bunch of other vaccinations up to this point. And like, did they? Because if they did, then what's his opposition to this one? Right. Feels political. <laughs> also, like, what is your doctor advising? Mm-hmm. If your husband is knowingly going against what your doctor advises for your kids. I don't think that's great. I'm recommending that you choose violence here in in the words of the TikTok generation. (laughs) Choose violence. Just take your kids and get them vaccinated. He can't unvaccinate them. Like your doctor doesn't need both parents' signatures to get kids vaccinated. I think if you're divorced and it's like an experimental vaccine or whatever, then yes. But I don't think there's anything that's stopping you from getting them vaccinated. And like, I don't love keeping secrets from people, but I think, and I think that's like an atomic bomb move, but like if getting your kids vaccinated is important and your husband having an irrational fear of them is standing in between you and something that you consider gravely important, then you can just do it. And also, is he not vaccinated? Yeah, it's a good point And are you hanging out with somebody who's not vaccinated and then your kids are around someone who's not vaccinated? It's a lot of questions. A lot of questions. Yeah. Nin0G asks, I'm an adult 30. How do I deal with parents who still always treat me like a child? I mean, that happens forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you can attempt to set boundaries and like- That's a good point. Be very clear in in the way you communicate them of, I would like to be talked to like this. If I'm talked to like this, I will not be engaging. Um, but I, I, there's no one better at busting through boundaries than parents. Like, <laughs> and the thing is, if they don't respect your boundary, what you can do is say, I'm not going to interact. It, you know, you're not going to have access to these parts of my life. We're not going to talk um, as often as we did. And and that's sort of, you're taking away their toy, which is you. And maybe that gets them to, um, to reconsider and to try, but it's, it's very hard, but you, you, yeah, just if there's a way to communicate clearly what you want, then at least you've done your part and it's on them to do their part then. Mm -hmm. I found that a lot of times, parents will try to maintain a dependent relationship with their children through money. Like no, no monetary gift from parents is ever really free. Like if your parents are paying your rent, you can't like, you know, like there are people whose parents pay their rent. And so in exchange for that, your parents still treat you like a child because in a way you're depending on them financially. But I think that To Megan's point, if you're going to set boundaries, there's really, you should just practice being comfortable saying some phrases and then just falling silent and not explaining yourself any further. Because the longer you explain things, the more people will try to talk you out of it. Here's one. We'll see. If your parents want you to to do something and you don't want to do it and they're just hammering at you and you don't have the energy, we'll see. I'll get back to you. We'll see. But don't commit to things that you don't want to commit to. Um, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. We'll see. That doesn't work for me. I'm sorry. I told you X and X is still in play. You know, like, I'm sorry. I told you I couldn't come back for Christmas on the 22nd. And that's still the case. You know, like I've just, we've decided this, I've decided this. Um, and then just fall silent because you don't have to engage. You don't, you can, 
end a phone conversation, put the phone down and walk away. They're not going to like not be your parents anymore. You just need to, it, and it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. It's a little uncomfortable to say, I am not comfortable with you going into my bedroom of my home without asking me, you know, that sort of a thing. Uh, I am not comfortable with you showing up unannounced at my house on a Saturday morning. I am not uncomfortable, you know, I'm not comfortable saying those things and then being okay with the fact that it's going to be a little weird. But then like a few days later, they'll forget. They're your parents. They love you. Those phrases really like whew, hit me in like my sternum. That was, <laughs> we'll see. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I have got nothing to add to this question because I have had the opposite experience. I feel like I've not been treated as a child since I was like 11 when I had to start <laughs> translating documents and changing my baby brother's diapers. So <laughs> no idea what this is like. Um, but what Aaron said sounded like the right thing. <laughs> Kelsey asks, how do you deal with the real inescapable biatch at work? Oh, God. Alyssa, I feel like you know the answer to this one. I mean, it's look, when it comes to the biatch, I feel like you just got to kill the biatch with kindness. I mean, that's the only thing because it's like, look, you could, I don't know what kind of person you are. The fact that you're asking the question leads me to believe that you yourself are not also a biatch because this woman's behavior concerns you. And so I would just try to kill her with kindness and just like rise above at all times and just try to outwit her um, because usually there's like no other way <laughs> unless you get into a like fight. And I don't even know that I, I feel like Again, because you're asking the question, you don't want to take that tack. So I would just try to kill the biatch with kindness. I'm just loving the use of biatch here. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember in like 2010 when it, we like the feminists decided that we're not using the word bitch anymore? And then by 2012, we were like, yes, we are. This we is a bitch. That's a great, <laughs> great multi-use word. But I think we needed to take a beat between 2010 and 2012, recalibrate bitch so that we understood it was like a universal word to apply to pretty yeah. much anybody. We, were, we reclaimed the bitch. And the biatch. Yeah, I think Alyssa's right. And I hope you have another friend at work that knows she's a biatch, so at least you guys can roll your eyes. <laughs> I think kill, kill her with kindness to her face, but then document every time she's a biatch behind her back. You need to, like, be the good and the bad cop. Because if you're nice and what happens is she responds in ways that are detrimental to the workplace. Like, I'm not talking like she was mean to me and gave me a, a mean face. Like, whatever. That's not something that you can, like, report. But if she's doing things like, you know, saying things that are bordering on harassing, if she's doing things that are um, insensitive to racial or ethnic groups or sexual orientations, if she's doing things that are in violation of company policy, then it's good for you to document those things. And you can always write down, you know, like just for your own edification, like how she acts toward you. Um, so that if she ever does try to be your friend or want something from you, you have a, a list of reasons why you shouldn't go out of your way for her. That's very good advice. Okay. This is the ender. Bran asks, where do I find a good fucking bra? <laughs> Girl, if you find it, let me know. We should just not wear bras anymore. <laughs> like, just free the titties. Let them bounce. <laughs> like, yeah, I, um, 
I will say, you know, lately I have not been using like wire bras anymore because they're always uncomfortable. Like always, like always something hurts somewhere. No, I mean, I've tried different sizes, different brands, but I am really into the bralette. (laughs) I love a good bralette and Target has some really, really good ones, very inexpensive ones. So you can try, you know, multiple different kinds and see what works for you. I have to be honest, since COVID, I haven't worn a real bra. I've gone to the Hanes Her Way sports bra or Fruit of the Loom. And I don't want ones with extra support. I want the ones that are just cotton and will ultimately fall apart after being washed 45 times because (laughs) that's how... And then you'll keep wearing them because they're even more comfortable. But yes, I have, I, that is my bra of choice now. Hanes her way and fruit of the loom. I, during pregnancy, I've been wearing, um, these like maternity yoga tops from beyond yoga that have a built-in bra that are really comfortable. Um, and then I have a couple bras. I think the company's called lively where I also have some bathing suits from and, but non-wireless I am. And, and my boobs are like expanding by the day as is my rib cage. And so I'm going through a, a rapid growth that I wished would have happened in eighth grade, honestly. And so it's like, nothing is like fitting right. It's just, I am kind of, yeah, letting <laughs> as I'm calling them to my husband, I'm letting these big hogs fly. <laughs> um, yeah, bras are always tricky because there's no good universal advice because everyone's boobs right. are, are different, even though many brands design bras as though everyone's boobs are the same, which is like deeply, deeply irritating. Um, I've had good luck um, Look, just try like ordering way more than I need in a bunch of different sizes before like, and then just returning the ones that don't fit, um, which is, can be a little annoying, but I've figured out what size I've worn during these different phases of like pregnancy and post-pregnancy and stuff. Because like Megan, it it has been like a a carnival of horrors between, (laughs) between my neck and my navel. Um, so yeah, that's, that's one thing. If you're looking for like pretty lingerie in inclusive sizing, there's a lingerie blogger that I follow on Twitter called the lingerie addict. And she's always posting like this really pretty stuff from brands that are just like beautiful and different types of bodies and different types of sexual orientations. And um, she seems to be pretty knowledgeable. So I think that there's like good lingerie bloggers who tend to write about this exact problem. And if you read enough of them, you'll probably find something that appeals to you and works for you. If we're talking about sexy lingerie, Savage Fenty, yeah, um, yeah. highly recommend. Their mm. shit is so good, so pretty, so comfortable. And it's sexy AF. Amazing. (laughs) Valentine's Day. (laughs) Tie-in. There you go. Um, Okay. That is all the time we have for questions from you all. This is always so fun. I love solicited advice episodes. And next time, hopefully we can do it where we're all in the studio together because I feel like knowing glances and like like micro expressions that women exchange are really important in answering advice questions. Um, But this was really fun. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I feel petty.
And welcome back. We've reached the part of the show where we complain about things that really aren't that big of a deal to anybody but ourselves. I feel petty. Megan, what are you feeling petty about this week? So I am now um, uncomfortably in my third trimester and I hate everyone. Um, Women, I'm actually like good with women. We went to a Lakers game last night and a security guard was like, don't go through the the, like ding, 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 ding. And I'm like, okay, I think that's made up. And then like (laughs) a woman like touched my belly. I didn't know a lady in the hallway was like, oh my God, congrats. Like they were being so nice. And then every man is so fucking worthless. Like not moving out of the way. I was like going to the bathroom and the guy next to me didn't stand up. And so it's like, I'm just barreling through like a Mack truck at this point. Like, I, cause I, there's no pain greater than what I'm feeling in my body. So if a fucking loser brushes off of me, it does not matter to me. So I am full steam ahead. If you do not get out of my way, you are getting all of my weight and my baby's weight barreling down on you. And I I just, uh, there's, there's no greater place to go to be like, men are a failure than crypto.com arena. I mean, it <laughs> is just a crew of the worst dressed fucking idiots you've ever seen in your life ever. Mm. Mm. But I had yeah. a really good hot dog. That's that's what's that's what's important. Um, solidarity, Megan. When I was like super pregnant, I was like, holy shit, are men worthless? Like there was 25% of them, like in the general population, were total sweethearts, like super nice, like clearly grandfathers or close to people who had been pregnant or you know, whatever, and were super nice, like offering to help carry my groceries or getting somebody at the grocery store to help me and all that stuff. But then 75% of them total assholes, like, like unbelievable assholes. It's like, wow, I bet your mother regrets going through this for you. you. (laughs) I had a woman not hold the door for me the other day. And it's like, you fucking biatch. Like, what is wrong with you? Oh, my God. See, this is why I think that they should issue us uh, special vests for postpartum so that people know that we're in just as much, if not more, pain than we were when we were pregnant. And they should be even nicer to us. We should get, like, special postpartum parking spots. We should be able to, like, stand, like, have places to sit while we're waiting in line for things. It's like truly wild. I feel like I'm going to wear those diapers um, on the outside. So people know, <laughs> like damn Donald Duck <laughs> wobbling around because, yeah, people are really, really starting to piss me off. All right. Well, let me know next time it happens and I'll go there and like punch him for you because I feel, yeah. I feel your rage. We're close now. We can meet at the snake park. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Four. Yeah. That sounds great. OK. Uh, Julissa, do you want to go next? Yeah, I'll go next. Um, OK, so. I've been watching the Olympics and um, sometimes though I fall asleep and then I have to watch the replays on Peacock. And first of all, I did not know that we subscribed to Peacock because who subscribes to Peacock? But apparently we do. (laughs) Uh, And so I was like, okay, well, at least I'm glad I have Peacock to watch the replays. So then I started watching the replays and there is no announcer on the replays. (laughs) Like, it's just silence. It's just total and complete silence. And it doesn't make any sense to me because when you watch it live, there's a person who's commentating on what's going on. And then on the replay, 
there is no one. And then NBC has the audacity to tell Leslie Jones to stop commentating on the Olympics. And it's like, fucking hire her. You could at least hire her and put her on the Peacock replays. Like, <laughs> hello, Miss Business Opportunity. And why do I have to watch the replays with no sound? Julissa, I thought my Peacock was broken. No. This whole time I stopped watching because I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, I was so mad. I went online. I tried to fix it because like, I had a problem with HBO and subtitles for a long time. Mm. So I thought it was the same kind of issue. I didn't realize it was on purpose. No, I thought my peacock purpose. was broken. No, oh it's gosh. on purpose. And I'm like, why? I like share this, that petty. Why? Ugh. Why do I have to watch this with no with nobody talking? I mean, half the time I don't pay attention to what the people are saying when they're talking because they're most of them are boring. But I still like to have the background noise, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, anyways, I agree. that's what I feel very petty about. Have you noticed that they also, in the titles, give away what happens in the highlight? They'll, like, so I'll want to watch, like, oh, what happened in whatever. And it'll be like, Nathan Chen sets yeah. record. And it's oh. like, I, I mean, like, I already kind of, like, or it'll say, like, some, like, more obscure sport that isn't in the headlines. And it would be like, U.S. skiers, heartbreak. And it's like, well, now I don't have to watch because you I gave agree. it away. Yeah. And also, and also, when you're, like, fast forwarding and rewinding, because I was actually trying to find Nathan Chen's performance. I had it took me an hour because there's no little like preview of what you're fast forwarding to. So I had to like fast forward, stop, make sure I hadn't missed it. Fast forward, stop, make sure I hadn't missed it. I hate the whole Peacock app. I don't know why we subscribe to it. How is NBC so bad at Olympics? At, they've been doing it for so long. For years. You've had so much practice. And like every time I'm like, maybe this one, maybe they'll figure it out. No. I, no. it, it's so bad. It's, ugh, it's so bad. Um, I have something that I feel petty about this week and, um, it's really minor and I'm sure that one of our listeners knows the answer to this and it's still going to annoy me regardless of what the answer is. Why isn't the default setting on my phone like low battery mode? I don't want to be in like battery wasting mode, you know, like I want, I want my phone to always operate on low battery mode, even when I have like 90% charge. Right. Cause you can't tell the difference. Yeah. I've never been like, Ooh, the performance of my phone has suffered. I noticed that the battery lasts longer, but like, what's the point of regular battery consumption when it doesn't really affect me, the user, and it makes my phone last longer? Why isn't that the default? And when I charge my phone, why does it switch to like, oh, you know what? You can just consume regular amounts of batteries when I hit 80%. No, low battery <laughs> mode all the time. That's all I want. I don't want high battery mode. It's a stupid mode. Anyway. I agree with that. I've set everything to such low brightness because, you know, that saves things that I was like, something's wrong with my eyes. My husband's like, your phone is dark. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> That's my equivalent. But I, I couldn't agree with you more. Low battery mode all the time because I would like to leave the house and not worry that my phone's going to die. Exactly. And it should just be automatically like that. I shouldn't like yeah. unplug it from my car and then like all of a sudden 10 minutes later, it's at 48%. Like, what the fuck? So dumb. Um, Alyssa, what are you feeling petty about? So mine is a bit Olympics. It's not a bit. It's Olympics related. So to Jaleesa's point, I was like, Nathan Chen, got to see what he's doing. I love ice skating. Okay. Ever since Midori Ito landed the first quad in competition. I mean, I have been hardcore ice skating like my whole adult, not even adult life, like since I was in elementary school. And I was so excited to watch Nathan Chen. And he was incredible. 
but why didn't he pick jazzier music? Like it was so hard <laughs> to get into the, the, I was like, I know he's killing it right now. I know he went from a quad Lutz into a triple toe loop or whatever it was. And that that is super impressive, but it would have helped with like more crescendo music instead of like La Boheme. And I know that, that like, that's what they like to use. And I, I went, a, I did a deep, I went down the rabbit hole. I went down to the battle of the Bryans with Boitano and Orser in 88. And like, even theirs was a little jazzier, but I'm curious if there is like a disadvantage or a prejudice against using like more popular music with judges, because I just feel like I could potentially start a business where I just advise people who want to ice skate on good music. If you want uh, a performance with some good music, uh, including some Carlos Santana guitar in there, uh, the Mexican ice skater uh, Donovan, and he's the first Mexican ice skater to go to the Olympics in 30 years, and he made it into the finals. He had like some Carlos Santana, some like upbeat music, and also he's like the cutest little thing. Like I am so obsessed <laughs> with him. I'm gonna check it. I'm gonna check it out. Oh man! But like, remember when people in the stands would be clapping along with the music? I mean, it's like I know that that's maybe a bygone era, but still, I just yeah. Nathan Chen. I hope he has something peppy for his long program. I also think, like, if you think about the type of music that people listen to around the world, it's a little bit different than what our tastes are for good music. Like, sometimes they'll be like Rus- Russian <laughs> Russian dancers or get up there, and it's like, oh. Imagine turning on the radio in Moscow. It just sounds like <laughs> it sounds like how it feels to be at a club that's only like 10% full of sh- shady men staring at you. Like that's how <laughs> Russian music sounds, or like Russian pop music sounds to me. Um, Eurovision music, none of it is like, whoa, this is really genuinely uplifting. It's all corny as fuck. So I feel like good music, yes, but like, with somebody with taste that's a little bit more elevated than like yes corny radio. I don't want to be like too America centric because that's not what I'm asking for. I just mean some beats, some crescendo. Like just it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be like Whitney Houston, but you know just something that's a little like I don't know, got a little pizzazz. Some pairs skated to Janet Jackson, which was cool. Was cool. That's why I just I guess it was more Nathan Chen specific who was incredible. Did get the highest score, 113 point, like 97 or something. Uh, and I'm rooting for him. I just feel like he has a lot inside that he could let out even more. That's a great, <laughs> that is extremely, extremely petty. And that is why this segment exists, Alyssa. Um, and that's all the time we have for the show today. Thank you, Julissa Arce and Megan Gailey for stopping by to answer listener questions. Thank you to Alyssa for being my ride or die per usual. And thanks to all of you, the listeners. There will be more hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroote. 